Turn with me to 1 Peter. Often we think about and we talk about Christ's death. And, we, and, and what I want to share this morning goes along with that. But I got to thinking here some time ago, and I, I still want to do more personal study on it. But the scripture talks about his suffering. It often mentions his suffering. Now, obviously, death was part of that suffering. But what's the difference, or is there a difference, or does it make any difference, that the scripture talks about suffering, and it also talks about his death. And sometimes they're talked about together, but sometimes they're talked about in slightly different ways. And I was contemplating that. Is there a difference? Does it make a difference that he suffered versus simply died? And I want to ask you a question. Would it, would it have made a difference? And obviously it would have. God always does things right. But even in your own mind, Jesus said, I have the power basically to lay down my life and to take it up again. So would it make a difference in your mind as you think about the, the death of Christ? If he had gone to Jerusalem, he had been there at the time of the Passover... He had shared with his disciples the Last Supper just like he did and so forth. And then the day that he was to die on the cross at that particular time, he would have went to the temple, went up onto wherever they were sacrificing the lambs, and simply laid down and gave up his life. He could have. Jesus could have done that. He could have said, well, I'm going to be the perfect sacrifice. I've never sinned, and I'm going to go. Now, you'd say, well, he wouldn't have shed his blood. Well, suppose he could have done something, so there were some drops of blood, and laid down and gave up his life. His disciples would have probably been astonished, and they would have buried him or put him in a tomb, and he could have rose again in three days, just like he did. But he chose not just to die, he chose to suffer and suffer tremendously before he died. And when the time was right, he said, and we'll probably hear more about this in the topic this evening, he said, it is finished. And he yielded up the go. He basically gave up his life to God. He yielded up his spirit and he died but not before he had suffered. And so, in 1 Peter here, starting in chapter 2, and we'll look at several different passages here. In 1 Peter, and then there are a couple of other passages I'd like to look at as well. We're going to start in verse 18. And notice the context in several of these deal with our suffering and his suffering. And how sometimes we like to think that we are suffering when we shouldn't need to. And we wonder why. And Christ, the scriptures bring out very clearly, that he suffered and was completely innocent. Did not deserve any suffering whatsoever. But he chose to do it. So starting at verse 18 of 1 Peter 2. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, or that word would mean mean or bad or harsh uh, 
rulers. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if, when ye be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? In other words, so what? If you do something wrong and you suffer for it, I think most of us, at least I can, I can, I, I can point out things in my life that I did not do well or I did wrong or I sinned and I suffered for it. Well, that's just the whole principle of reaping what you sow, right? And so that's not, dare I say it this way, don't expect a lot of uh, applause from God if you suffer for things you do wrong. That's not, that's just how it works in life. So let me start again in verse 20. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable to God or with God. Now he shifts over and starts talking about Christ's suffering. Now remember, if our suffering, if we suffer for things when we shouldn't have to, and that's acceptable to God. Think about his son, okay? So in verse 21, it says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth, who... When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls." So, in verse 22, you'll notice Christ's suffering says he did no sin. Christ did not suffer because he did something wrong. God did not ask his son to suffer for his sin. It says, but it's for our sin that he suffered, not because of his. And so, he also gave us an example in doing that. So if you look at some of the reasons here that, that Christ suffered, first of all, he was innocent. But he did it patiently, and it was acceptable to God. It was an example for us to follow there in verse 21. And let me just add this. We should suffer in this life if we're living righteously. Now, not for the things we're doing wrong, but if we do what is right and we suffer for it, we do that because of Christ, not in place of Christ's suffering. Now let me explain that. You can suffer and suffer and suffer. You can even do things that are right and suffer for it. People do that and aren't Christians. That doesn't save them. You're not going to be saved because you suffer for something. Some people kind of have that idea. Well, you know, I've just suffered through this and I've suffered through that. and I've suffered, So I must be, oh, I must be saved. No. We're saved because of Christ's suffering. But he gave us an example, and I want us to, to grasp that as we go through the message, that his suffering 
was for us because of our sins. And he did it for an example. He did it patiently. And he did all this stuff when he was reviled, when he was spat upon, when he was beaten. It says here in this passage that it's by his stripes we are healed. By his suffering we are healed. And I believe that means spiritually and maybe even sometimes otherwise. But for the most part, he's talking here, we are healed spiritually by the suffering that he went through, by his stripes. That's talking about his beating and his whipping and, and the terrible suffering that he went through. I can't imagine hey, how they, they tore out pieces of his beard and, and they put that crown of, of thorns. And it wasn't just little thorns. I, I believe it was big thorns. And they made that crown. They put it on there. And then it says they whacked him on the head. Probably when that crown was on there, they hit it with a stick and drove it down into him. <clears throat> That's suffering. But he did not revile again. He, he didn't say, boy, you guys don't realize, but boy, when I, you're going to face me someday in a judgment, and then you're going to see what this is all about. Now, the fact of the matter is, <clears throat> they did face Jesus. And it looked a lot different then. And suddenly they realized he was indeed a king. But at that time, up until the time that they died, he would have forgiven them for all of that. The suffering that he went through. But that was not all of the suffering. It says that in verse 24, that he bore our sins in his own body on the cross. I don't know, I don't think we, I hear a lot of explanation for it. I hear people talk about it. I've tried to talk about it. But I don't think any of us will ever, even in eternity, understand. And I, I think he'll tell us a lot of things that we don't understand here. But I don't think we can ever know what it was like for him to bear our sins on the cross or anywhere. The perfect, holy, pure Lamb of God. And it says he bare our sins. He was suffering. And I don't know how much. I, I don't know. What, what was the greatest part of his suffering? The beating. The humiliation. All of that. Was it bearing our sins? I don't know that we know. I don't know that there's an answer for that. But it says he did bear our sins. It says um, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. And then it makes it clear in verse 25 that we've all gone astray. We've all went our own way. But if we, are, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and his suffering and death and resurrection. We are healed, and we can live righteously and be seen as righteous in God's eyes. Turn over to chapter 3. And I'd like to look at verses 13 through 18. 
And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctified or, or set apart the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that lieth in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if we suffer, or it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well doing than for evil doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. Now notice this the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And then it continues on there. I always kind of hate ending in the middle of a sentence in the scriptures, but um, we'll stop there because it, it kind of goes into another, almost a different context there. But notice that in this passage it says, If ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. Don't be afraid of their terror. Don't be afraid of this. And, you know, we often talk about this verse here where it says, Always be ready to give an answer. Or an apologia, a, a verbal defense of the gospel. Always be ready to do that. If somebody asks you, have an answer for them, something. You may not be able to give a, a doctoral dissertation on theology or something to someone, but be able to give them an answer for the hope that lies in you. But notice the context of that. It's in the context of suffering for Christ. Why do we often... Why do we often fail to witness to someone when we have opportunity and we know we should? Isn't it because we're afraid we might suffer a little bit of humiliation or something or they, they won't quite understand or they might laugh at us or they might say, you're nuts. You're crazy. Why would you believe a thing like that? Isn't it because we're afraid we might have to suffer a little? I don't think we understand what suffering is in this country when it comes to being a Christian. We don't get it. I don't know if there's anyone here that's ever really had to suffer serious, physical, horrible treatment because you were a Christian. Maybe because you mouthed off to somebody bigger than you. But I'm talking about because you're a Christian. Have you ever had to suffer like that? A lot of people in the world do. You know what's interesting? A lot of times in those settings where people understand that if I'm going to be a Christian, there's a good chance I'm going to have to suffer. That they're not afraid to give an answer. And they're not afraid to go before people and say, hey, I'm a Christian. Kill me if you want. Beat me if you want. I'm not changing my mind. He says here, don't be afraid of their terror. Neither be troubled. The scripture does talk about the fact that facing this suffering, that it would appear that there was a certain sense of even fear that the Lord faced, the, the apprehension of actually going through all of this. But it says he became obedient even unto death, and he knew that that death was going to include suffering. And so, of course, 
we would have some trepidation if we knew we were going to be persecuted seriously. But isn't it better to suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing, even if God asks us to do that? Over into chapter 4, starting at verse 1 and 2 there, it says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. I understand that to basically mean that Christ suffered in the flesh, and he died. And then he's no longer in the flesh, and he's not being tempted. He says he was tempted in all points like we are. And there's something about this thing of suffering for Christ, and we'll see some other passages, that has to do with our also being resurrected and having a new life where we're not living in sin any longer. Now, again, it doesn't mean you never fail. It doesn't mean you don't come short. It doesn't mean you don't sin. But our lifestyle is not a life of sin because we have put to death the old man. And we're willing to suffer for it. And sometimes putting to death the old man and what we want and what we desire and how we'd like to live and where we'd like to go and what we'd like to do and who we'd like to hang out with is sometimes seems like suffering. But if it means living righteously, that's what God has asked us to do. And we go on over into chapter 5. And we also see here um, a few verses, and I may come back to this end of the service today. It says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a while... Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Suffer for a while. Christ's suffering did end. There came an end to his suffering. When he said, it is finished. And it was. And he yielded up his life and he died. It was finished. And when he said it was finished, that, that's a big thing. It wasn't just his life that was finished. It was the whole plan of salvation. It was redeeming mankind back to himself. For, the, for thousands of years, this plan was in place, working through, as you can see in the Old Testament, on up into that time. So his suffering had finished. His life had finished. And there's a time when our suffering will end as well. Turn with me now to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 10, it says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And here again, this goes along with this idea of ceasing from sin. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. 
But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if the children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now notice there, it says that if we are the children of God, we are joint heirs. That means we are included in his inheritance. That's amazing when you think about it. We are joint heirs with Christ, but it says something here. It says, if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And following this, it talks about how the whole creation is, is uh, waiting and groaning and travailing, waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. But notice, I want us to notice this verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The Amplified talks about that revealed this way. Revealed to us and in us and for us and conferred on us. That's a lot of glory. That's a lot of glory. Revealed in us and on us and conferred on us. If we are willing to suffer with him. He suffered for us. The just for the unjust. We are unjust. We deserve to suffer. We really do. But it says, if we're willing to suffer for Christ, not for evil things that we do, not for the wrong things that we do, but for the right things that we do, it says that the glory will be revealed in us and on us, conferred on us, this amazing glory that will be revealed. So I think about this a little bit. I want to ask you a question this morning. Would you really be willing to suffer for Christ if it meant serious, serious suffering like a lot of Christians suffer around the world? I thought about this. I already mentioned the one area where I said, you know, do we, am I willing to share the gospel with someone and maybe suffer some humiliation, maybe suffer being told that I'm an idiot or something like that because I don't believe like they do or whatever. Am I willing to suffer like that? That's not much suffering, really. But I wonder sometimes that when I look at Western Christianity, and, and let's just think about ourselves and, and think about yourself. And I, I thought about myself and, and thinking about this. We find it very, very difficult in our Western Christian culture to want to be different from the world in ways that the scripture has laid out very clearly that we must live according to this book. And the culture doesn't live according to this. And so we become different. 
And a lot of Christians say, well, I can't be different. I don't want to look different. I don't want to act different. I don't want to live differently. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, you better believe it. You know why I'm a Christian? Because Jesus died for my sins and rose again. And I said one time way back yonder some other time that I had this little prayer and I committed my life to Jesus and he came into my heart. And so I'm saved and I'm going to be saved forever. Praise the Lord. That's how a lot of people think about it. Are we willing, no matter where the world goes, no matter what may come, are we really willing to suffer for Jesus? And I thought about it for myself. If I'm not willing to go and witness to people and share the gospel and whatever, would I really do it if I knew my neck was on the line? If I knew that there was a chance that I witnessed to the person working at the convenience store, that I give them a tract and they happen to know the right authority, that a week later I'd be in prison and maybe never see my family again, never see you brothers and sisters again, and maybe be beaten over and over and over. Would I, would I witness to them? Well, if I say I would, why am I not doing it now? If you say that you'd stick out for Jesus and you wouldn't be ashamed of him no matter what, then why is it that we want to get as close to the world now as we possibly can and still feel like we're kind of in the kingdom in a lot of the ways we want to live and act and look, whatever? Why is it? Would we really suffer for Jesus Christ? I had to think about it because as I looked at this whole thing about, about Christ's suffering, suddenly I, when I look at these passages, they all talk about us being, or most of them do, talk about us being willing to suffer with him. It's not just about his suffering, because he suffered. And we're going to remember that this morning. We're going to take part in, this, in communion. Why? Because he said, as oft as you do this, remember... I shed my blood, and before I did, I suffered. By stripes were healed. And the bread that we take, they would have recognized in their meals there were stripes on that bread. That stripe signified the suffering that he was going to go through. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you eat it, remember... Jesus was willing to suffer for us. Are we willing to suffer for him? To do what's right, no matter what, even if it means suffering? Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And this passage spoke to me particularly, especially as it, um, maybe in verse 10. But starting at verse 7 of chapter 2 here, 2 Timothy, starting at verse 7, it says, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David, would raised from the dead, according to my gospel, wherein 
I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, or for the, those that are saved, or for the church's sake. Therefore, I endure all things for the church's sake, that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. 